Welcome to ARM Presents Fireside Chats, panel discussions looking at the business potential of technology. The automotive industry has been in a period of intense electronic innovation with advances in powertrain, in-car experience, and greater levels of self-driving activity. In this fireside chat, we will examine the potential effects of the recent economic downturn on this innovation. Today's moderator is Chet Babla from ARM. Hi there, my name's Chet Babla. I'm the Vice President of the Automotive Business here at ARM. Joining me today for this fireside chat, I have three colleagues. Gentlemen, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hello, my name is Asoshin Arai. I'm based in uh, San Jose. Uh, I'm Director of Automotive Solutions. I'm Andrew Hopkins. I'm Director of System Technology within uh, Arms Automotive and IoT business in Cambridge. Hi everyone, I'm Tom Conway. I lead the automotive product team here at Arm. Great, thank you gentlemen. So we've got a really interesting topic to talk about today. Where will automotive manufacturers innovate in a downturn? Um, when I look around, obviously what's happening given uh, the downturn due to COVID, it does feel all a bit doom and gloom. And you know, when you look at the analyst forecasts around the number of light vehicles that are going to be sold, they're projecting anywhere from 20% down year on year, maybe even lower. So we could be looking at 70 million cars being uh, produced and sold this year. So when we look at the industry when you guys engage with the ecosystem are you seeing the OEMs are stepping up to the mark do you see innovation is happening today do you want to start Andrew for sure I mean OEMs are absolutely innovating I mean a good area as an example is powertrain right so um, I mean there's a lot of innovation going on right now around electrification and w w there's several drivers there besides OEMs being good um, kind of corporate citizens and, and one of the big drivers is the regulatory environment and it's really creating a positive momentum for towards innovation. I mean take the European Union for example, their regulations are really driving uh, CO2 emissions down progressively with the view that by 2030 they need to be 37.5% lower than for 2021. That's an enormous colossal drop and it's it's a tough challenge but OEMs are really rising to it and w one of the hopes I think they had was that the, the regulations might get relaxed a little bit in the short term due to the the COVID-19 crisis but ultimately um, that that's not really happened and, and OEMs are, are really up against the wall to try and pull out the, these continued uh, innovations and, and they are absolutely rising to it I mean, the, the end goal, is, I think, really is going to be full electric battery-powered vehicles, but to get there is still going to take time. And actually, the, the emissions regulations are sufficiently challenging just for the short term that we're going to have to see uh, a multitude of innovations to, to actually get there. And, that, and that's going to involve having a mixture of... Um, different types of hybrid vehicle as well as the, the investments in full EV and so we can certainly expect to see some OEMs uh, offering only some form of hybrid and battery EV at some point. Um, many of those vehicles will be mild hybrid 
um, and, and that's a, a kind of lower cost solution, but still makes a big difference in terms of efficiency. Clearly, clearly full hybrid and plug-in hybrid is, we see a few of those around, around now. Um, and, and they obviously are, are, are pretty important. We're also seeing hybrids increasingly for both diesel and petrol within in Europe. So that's, again, another area where there is increasing choice for consumers, but also um, big innovation from the, the, the OEMs. And as I said before, you know, the, the end goal is, is uh, battery operated. I mean, take the UK. The UK is planning to ban uh, carbon fuel vehicles from 2030 and uh, that, that really sets the end goal but to get there they're going to have to have a combination of technologies and I, I see those being pr predominantly electrification of some kind I mean there's clearly other technologies like hydrogen and um, I think they have a role to play particularly in fleets and commercial vehicles and buses etc where the operators have the infrastructure to fuel those vehicles but really I think in the long term one of the reasons it, battery EV wins out is that it's actually a, a very simple platform compared to a combustion engine let alone these, these really quite complex hybrid technologies that are involving a mixture of, of kind of worlds that have to be somehow joined together so um, it, it's definitely headed in, in that, that electrification direction and we're going to see a lot from governments in that space. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a. Re I was just saying, it's it's a really good point that there's a. We will we'll need a combination of um, uh, electrification technologies. Battery is is the ultimate goal, um, but having this combination of mild and full and pub plug-in is going to be the way that OEMs are going to be able to reach some of these um, really tough short-term emissions targets. Uh, Tom, Tom, did you have a comment there? Well, I mean, I think we're seeing that across various um, regulatory bodies and governments where we're seeing the uh, consumer subsidies being um, continued, encouraged generally to drive the uptake of greener vehicles um, across both Germany and China. You've seen extending their subsidy programs going forwards. But I think I, think I agree with Andrew's point. It's not all about batteries. It'll really be that mix of a sort of mild and everything to full hybrid is needed to make those um, sort of sh huge short-term impacts on CO2 um, and still give consumers the performance and the range that they need for their journeys. It will take a long time before consumers move purely to battery electric vehicles. Yeah, uh, and I mean, the consumer really is important in all of this, right? You know, um, when we look at the global trend towards better awareness about climate change. You know, we as consumers want to make those better green choices in the products that we buy, and that includes the cars that we buy as well. Um, Soshan, how about the US? O obviously, gas has been king for a long time. Are you seeing an electrification trend in, in the US? Of course, uh, before and during this lockdown, there are many announcements by the OEMs on electrification especially. So Ford committed 11 billion US dollars and uh, 40 new electrified platform, including 16 EVs by 2020. And uh, GM investing 20 billion US dollars into electrified, electrified powertrain by 2025. And uh, another positive announcement by Toyota, that uh, Lab 4, that is a best-selling uh, SUV in the US, it has a plug-in hybrid version in this summer with 42 miles EV with, uh, for EV range. 
However, this is true. Even before uh, this pandemic happened, uh, gas prices has been declining in the U.S. because U.S. is now an um, oil exporter country. And this could delay the transition to EV in the U.S., but uh, very importantly, California still keep zero emission vehicle program, so-called ZEF, and now other 12 uh, states follow it, and uh, including New York and Pennsylvania. So New York, Pennsylvania is a very uh, large population, by the way. If OEM want to sell the car in the, uh, California, the largest car market in the US and New York, they have to sell EV or plug-in hybrid anyway. So this is a trend in the US. And picking up on that consumer choice part, I think certainly in, in parts of Europe, certainly some of Scandinavia, we're seeing uh, consumers very much voting with their feet. I mean, personally, I, I made the jump to an EV uh, two years ago now. Um, my family and I, we looked at the sort of our, our usage and for how much our sort of day-to-day -day use, for our day-to-day -day use, these current technologies easily cover our, our daily requirements with a charge overnight on the drive. I mean, for us, a sort of a 200-mile day out is a, a huge endeavor that we wouldn't undertake likely without a significant amount of planning. From where we live, you can get to the coast and back uh, comfortably within 200 miles of range. But we also looked at the, um, the recent years of the holidays we've had here in the UK, and we concluded that with our two small children, the idea of um, stopping after two hours of driving was pretty much on our list already. You have to plan breaks and let them run around a bit. So stopping to charge a car, um, that seems to work for me. I'm a bit of a planner by nature. So looking at driving times, range, charging options, having a plan, that all works for me. I do have to admit we have ended up uh, hanging a long extension cable out of a holiday cottage to make sure we got home. So it's not it's not simple. It's certainly doable with yeah. current technologies. Yeah, that, that made me chuckle. And I guess the other point, of course, is that governments are also looking at the infrastructure side of electrification and making sure that they're starting to, you know, ensure this kind of range anxiety that people who perhaps don't plan as well as you might, Tom, um, can still have this option to consider electric vehicles for these longer drives. So, I mean, I, hearing you guys, uh, hearing about some of the um, uh, regulatory effects that's boosting uh, a move towards more electrification of platforms um you know hearing about you know the us where yes gas is cheap but actually there is a a c growing consumer demand and let's not forget the tesla's biggest market after all is the us um it does sound as though the powertrain is is an interesting area of innovation for oems um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, software-defined vehicles. We hear this a lot. Well, in general, we hear about software-defined everything, but in particular, we've heard heard how vehicles are becoming defined by software. Um, what's driving this trend, and, 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 and is this an opportunity for more innovation for OEMs? Uh, Tom, would you like to start? Yeah, I think we're certainly seeing numerous um, discussions that we have with people in the industry but also key public announcements, things like VW's car.software lead, talking about the need to take control of both the hardware and the software architecture and investing a huge sort of 7 billion euros purely into their software strategy. Uh, for me, I think this is um, vehicle manufacturers seeing the types of things that have happened in perhaps the mobile industry, looking at where those... Um, uh, well, not just the control points, where the ownership, where the user experience comes from 
the work you do in software because of course what those consumers see in their vehicle is nearly all software driven these days but from those um, OEMs we're also seeing a lot of talk about how they consolidate the numbers of ECUs these little black bo little black boxes into their um, into their vehicle architectures as more and more um, companies look at the uh, changes coming and the opportunity for change with things like electrification and building new platforms from the ground up and sharing platforms across different um, car manufacturers they're looking at all of the electronics as a complete system and looking at how they can optimize and make changes in the design they do today to allow them to have some of that flexibility in the future to allow them to upgrade make changes going forwards so I think we've seen some recent examples of people talking about perhaps over provisioning the compute capabilities of their current generation of their current products such that over time they can add more and more functions features and capabilities during the life cycle of that video of that vehicle so that's why we see OEMs investing heavily oh that, that that's interesting that, that that's almost like looking to future-proof the car right absolutely okay don't forget the software defined functionality needs over the air so OTA updates so adding or enabling new features by OTA has been a topic for years so I remember some people still had doubt when Tesla started OTA services but now it's a clear trend and the OEM are very serious to gain additional revenue stream through the OTA uh, services so there are many challenges though for example, OEM need to uh, put uh, more security and then predict more future hardware performance. So if the predict hardware performance, predicted hardware performance is not good enough, then the vehicle with the hardware might not be able to support new feature by the OTA in future. So it will be a disaster for OEM because they cannot get a new revenue. So OEM have to have, uh, have a proper hardware or compute platform that have some performance margin and plus the vehicle need to be uh, generating so much data and deciding what is relevant and uh, what is uh, consumed in the vehicle or edge or what is uploaded to cloud <coughs> will be also a bit challenge in my view the software complexity forced to uh, form new alliance or partnership across the industry for example nvidia mercedes partnership the so Mercedes CEO clearly mentioned about the services, creating uh, their own Mercedes-Benz operating system to add new features, especially related to the autonomous drive or uh, driving assistance area during the lifetime of the vehicle by the OTA for our recurring revenue stream. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a big announcement. I saw that, and, and, and I think it's probably uh, a good bet to think that's not going to be the last of these kinds of partnerships that we're going to start to see between OEMs and, and technology companies. Um, Andrew, I mean, we, we've, we're speaking, obviously, about OEMs here. H have Tier 1s got a role to play? How do we think they're going to fit into this software-defined vehicle world? Well, there's certainly a lot of change here, and, and it is fair to say that, that the big OEMs are taking uh, more control. But actually, the, the Tier 1s are still important, and actually, I'm, re I'm really excited about some of the innovations that they're driving. I mean, to date, they've played a really critical role in software integration, and we're moving to a world of the software-defined vehicle where, where software integration is, is key. 
I mean, I think in any event, they're going to be needed to uh, manufacture and, and assemble the electronic chassis um, to the specification of the bigger OEMs, as well as supply software-defined modules. But going forwards, they will still remain really critical for the smaller OEMs because they, c they need the scalability and software-defined um, aspects of the car but actually they haven't got the volume or, or some cases the capability to define their own computer chassis and that's where the large tier ones can, can really step in uh, they can provide that computer chassis they can provide a large amount of the software pre-integrated and as a proven integration solution it will also be possible to integrate third-party applications and uh, across all of these vehicle developments I think we're going to see an emergence of a software module market. So it will be a bit like Android, but aimed more at the vehicle OEMs than the consumers. But I think for that to work, there's going to need to be some alignment, particularly in the area of standards-based APIs in order to make these software modules plug together in a, a low cost, easy to integrate kind of way. But actually, if, if the industry can crack this, where I think tier ones are a big part of actually driving that, that definition, driving those standards, then the integration pain that's really hurting OEMs and to an extent tier ones today, it, it's actually going to fade away. And I think that that is um, uh, really pivotal to this shift towards software defined car. Andrew, presumably the fundamental role of Tier 1s um, remains, for all those valid reasons, the, the spreading of cost across the supply chain. So the, the fundamentals are still very much baked into the Tier 1s supplying OEMs in many, many examples across the car. That, that's absolutely right, Tom. And I, I think you know, in, in certain areas, they're, of course, also the leading providers. So if you take some of the chassis systems, for example, then the, they, those come from tier ones. The OEMs don't tend not to develop those things themselves anyway. They don't have the expertise. And when it comes to that uh, spreading of, of kind of technology investment across vehicles, then that, that's really where they come in with the smaller OEMs, because as OEMs consolidate and some of the bigger ones get even bigger, they can start to afford to do these things themselves to differentiate and save um, their own costs. And they, they don't necessarily need the tier one. It's the full extent that the smaller OEMs do. So it, it's going to be vital, I think, for the survival of the smaller OEMs. It, it's interesting hearing some of the things you guys have just mentioned about how consolidation is driving the need for more software capability, how the connected car is bringing this opportunity of OTA or over-the-air updates to allow configurability. You know, today cars are sold, it, the car drives off the dealership forecourt, and basically that's it, done. Your interaction with the consumer is pretty much done apart from when you need to do some servicing. So the, the fact that OEMs are now seeing the software-defined connected vehicle as an opportunity um, to perhaps have an ongoing relationship and service-driven relationship with consumers is really interesting. And uh, I can see how that's driving this uh, innovation under the hood, so to speak. Um, what about, you know, actually innovating in the vehicle cabin, you know, and an in, in-vehicle experience? Is that something we're seeing OEMs are looking at and, and investing in? Um, Soshan, perhaps, if you'd like to start? 
Sure, OEM have to spend, uh, I think they are very, very uh, spending more uh, effort to the uh, car experience. So in-car experience continue to be a consumer priority. So in my personal case, so my car has rear seat entertainment and uh, multiple displays, but cannot change the contents or for each displays. So everybody have to watch uh, same video in my car. We, uh, we have three kids and they want to watch different video or content individually. And then we spent hours in the, our vehicle and we want to experience to be there positive and enjoyable and informative. And not have a family fallout. <laughs> and we, we live in the US. So as a driver, I want to have a better head-up display for easy driving and a more clear vision at the side view mirrors to reduce my stress, especially when changing the lane because uh, there are uh, many cars on American roads with multiple lanes. Yeah, I mean, some of Soshin's examples are really going to highlight how there's this increased demand for multiple, in fact, different user experiences in the vehicle. What we're seeing through any of the discussions ARM has is really an increase in the desire for higher graphics capability and that becoming a more and more critical component to give people that mobile phone or tablet-like experience in their vehicle both for the driver and for the passengers. I mean, we're even seeing a, a rising need for higher levels of functional safety in the cockpit. Uh, sorry, functional safety in the cockpit? Oh, what, what, what's the use case for that, Tom? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about bringing information to the driver about the, the safety, ultimately leading to the safety of that vehicle. So there's a wide range of uh, examples where you'll start to see the driver monitoring system start to be included in the, in the safety case for the, the vehicle. I mean, Soshin mentioned his uh, electronic mirrors. Of course, you'll need to make sure those are, if those are your only way of seeing what's happening out to the side, you need to ensure you can rely on the information being fed, fed to you. You're making decisions based on those electronic components. So ultimately, at various levels, they start to play into the safety case of the vehicle. I mean, everything from simple warning lights, telling you about engine or battery management, um, and Soshin mentioned his uh, heads-up display, the more and more people come to rely on the information that's fed to them, the more and more those features become, or the operation of those features becomes critical to the safety of the vehicle and the occupants. Yeah, those use cases were really good to explain the need for functional safety there because I was kind of thinking from an entertainment point of view, you know, if the screen malfunctions or my daughter can't hear her favourite, uh, you know, favourite song playing, yes, it might be a calamity for her, but it's not really a functional safety issue. But I, I guess given the examples you've given, you know, it makes it clearer. Um, Andrew, anything from you on, on this in-vehicle experience side? Well, let's build on the idea of your daughter listening to a song, right? Because the innovation's not just about vision, it's not just about safety. There's actually innovation going on around audio. And by that, I'm not really talking about continuous improvement of playback quality. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty good already. What I'm actually talking about is OEMs using multi-speaker systems to provide near-field audio to specific occupants. I mean, this is, this is going to be new and kind of changing for the overall cab cabin experience. 
uh, as well as providing drivers with enhanced information such as those spatial audio rendering to guide them when they're maneuvering or like when they're parking um, but as well as actually in in emergency situations to to actually guide the, the driver in, in kind of where they need to go to to navigate a safe course um, th there is definitely significant innovation. I mean, th there's also the obvious application of road noise cancellation. That's something that is already starting to e emerge. And, and although that takes us back to audio quality, it's, it is something that can make the cabin experience more relaxing, particularly on those longer drives. And actually, just, just thinking back to where we were with consolidated environments and the software-defined car, I mean, Tom introduced the idea that OEMs are looking to gain portability, I, I think, within in that discussion. And uh, actually, one of the things that you can do is, is, is make sure that the audio stack is portable. You know, we have all these complex uh, software and filter workloads, and what OEMs want to be able to do is deploy that on, on whatever hardware platform they're presented with and not really have to worry about the details of specific audio accelerators or, or DSP subsystems. And where we're seeing, I think, a trend now is towards actually trying to run these audio workloads on the applications processors alongside uh, all of the other uh, pieces of software. And actually, by doing that, you get to a, an environment that is much more friendly to, towards portability and overall that makes the total cost of the platform and, uh, and development across a whole set of model ranges lower and and that that really fits with this idea of, of ecu consolidation yeah 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 that's interesting uh, so i i guess we've spoken about how oems are innovating uh, within the vehicle um, and i guess along the way we've we've solved Socian's family problem of, of multi-screen content consumption. Um, but what about the world of driver and road user safety? I mean, surely this has got to be a major area for technology development. Um, uh, Socian, what are you seeing here when you talk to the ecosystem? Yeah, automation is increasingly becoming a key requirement for a new car, such as adaptive cruise control, automatic emergency uh, braking system and the lane changing uh, lane change uh, warning or lane lane keep assistance for uh, Ford decided to install automatic braking system and the camera based lane keep assist as a standard features to the most uh, of the new vehicle including best selling F vehicle F150 from 2020 so advanced safety feature are rapidly uh, becoming a standard in the US and I would say automatics or semi-automatic parking system, which requires another uh, cameras and additional computing resources, is becoming a popular feature as well in the US. Okay. Um, Tom, from your perspective, where are we seeing um, innovation opportunity in, in, in this world of kind of driver and road user safety? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, consumers are coming, becoming more and more aware of the safety properties when they when they purchase their vehicle, when they drive their vehicle. And so here you'll see these, um, the work that the NCAP, Euro NCAP, and others are doing. They're starting to include the electronic systems more and more in the ratings for the vehicles. So ultimately, for those vehicle, for those consumers who are looking for the highest levels of safety, the NCAP standards are driving them to ask the question of which of these automatic features do you have? Can you show me and demonstrate to me that those have been um, tested as part of your safety ratings? 
So I think um, consumer choice and the, the inclusion of the electronic systems in both the, the NCAP systems and, of course, in the US, um, they're strongly advocating movement to more and more safety systems um, to, to promote those capabilities in their vehicles. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, as we start to move to higher levels of automation in, in vehicles, does that mean there's a role for machine learning in this area? Um, Andrew, thoughts? Certainly, yeah. Machine learning is uh, an integral part of all perception systems these days, and and everything ADAS and um, various forms of autonomy, they all now rely on some element of machine learning, if not in total reliance on machine learning for the perception kind of part uh, of that that system. A another key area is the driver monitoring system, and and that's something that that is essentially needed for the ADAS system to, to guarantee that the, the driver is paying attention and is available. That could be directly within the ADAS platform, it could actually be a, a standalone module, but also it could be delegated to the cockpit system. And that really links back to what Tom was saying about there being an emergence of safety in the cabin. So a lot of these systems are becoming more interconnected and more integrated. And, and ML is just one example. I mean, those functional safety systems, Andrew, they really, uh, they're ultimately defined by the car OEMs and the car makers, but those car manufacturers are, are, are looking down their supply chain to see higher and higher levels of safety capability documentation, all the way up to um, the highest level ACLD. They're looking down the supply chain to see how their suppliers can conform to the various functional safety standards and ultimately deliver a faster path to that safety requirement. Okay, but uh, we should ignore the role of uh, startups here. So startups are developing the algorithm and the uh, sensor technology. The OEM tier one has a research group for sure, but the uh, startups have a fresher mind uh, in general to try something new. And uh, most of startups for algorithm has uh, many computer science PhDs. So they, are, uh, they may have strong expertise on the uh, functional safety, but as they uh, develop new algorithm, or optimize the algorithm better or quicker, especially for perception and the data fusion process. I think OEMs and tier one are still looking for the partnership with uh, startups. Yeah, that, that, that's a really important point as well, Soshin. You know, this, this area is so challenging and it will take partnerships across a variety of companies in the value chain all the way from the OEM, the tier one, the silicon vendor, and also some of these small medium enterprises and even startups helping to solve some of these safety related challenges. Um, I guess we're probably running out of time here. So a final question to you all. Um, are you positive about the outlook for automotive OEMs in the industry kind of post COVID? Um, perhaps a couple of points you might want to pick on each. Um, starting with you, Andrew. I, I th I'm, I'm actually really positive. I'm really excited actually about the innovation I'm seeing. I mean, right now, I think it's one of the toughest times to ever be an OEM, but actually that they will rise from this and, and we really will see the fruits of the innovation that they're, that they're working on now. Thank you. Tom? Yeah, um, very much. I think it's, it's a challenging time right now, but the, the discussions we're having with partners confirms they're already looking ahead to model year 2021, model year 2023, and onwards into 2025. And the areas they're really looking to, to do more in is around this in-vehicle in experience, 
bringing that sort of um, mobile or tablet experience to the consumers, but also safety as consumers become more and more aware of the safety requirements, aware of what can be done and what state-of-the-art safety is, the OEMs will absolutely rise to deliver what those consumers want. Thank you. And Soshan, two thoughts from you? Sure. So recession is inevitable and unpredictable, but in general, I'm very positive about the auto industry post this pandemic, even if 2020 will be a very tough year. So I'm uh, expecting a, a V-shaped recovery in 2021, and I know many tier one and OEM are very busy developing a new generation EDAS for 2022 or 2025 model years. And many startups are very active to promote their new algorithm by online meeting today. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for your thoughts and insight today. Um, we are in an unprecedented environment at the moment, but it sounds as though from some of the points that you've, you've raised and we've discussed today, there is a future for innovation. Um, the opportunity does look positive for the automotive industry. So thank you again and great talking to you.